It's, it's a terrible message that sets us up for total disillusionment to expect mm. all of heaven on earth now. And, it, and it, it cheapens, I think, the human condition. If you think of art or stories or movies or the character of friends who have gone through deep betrayals or difficult periods or the redemptive element of someone who's gone through a sickness and is able to cherish life and loved ones more or um, learning a million ways how not to do something in order to get to a place where you say actually you know like all of these things are part of the beauty of the the sort of multi-layered story of being human Hello and welcome to The Follower Podcast, a place for honest conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. I'm your host, Matthew Lewis, and I'm so glad that you have joined us. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Follower Podcast. This is episode 101, 101 to, to push off into 2024. That's amazing. Uh, I'm going to be, over the next couple of weeks, giving you a few conversations um, around some helpful ideas that I think frame us to head into a, um, a healthy year. And to start that off, uh, we've got Pete Portal coming back onto the podcast. Welcome, Pete. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, really, really good. So good to, to have you with us. Thank you for making the time to chat. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, and if, if uh, Pete's voice is familiar, it's because he has already been on in 2022. I think it's episode 68. He was telling us a little bit about his story. So if you've been listening to the Follower podcast for any length of time, uh, you can go back and listen again. Really great conversation. But just to give you a brief highlight, Pete is uh, working in Mannenberg in the Tree of Life community there, a church that he's helped found with others. He's from England. Uh, he's part of the 24-7 prayer community. Uh, he's a, a servant of people, a prophetic voice, a lover of Jesus, a dad, uh, a husband, um, and just an inspiration really in so many ways. I think for me, because of uh, the substance of his life, very often in our time, it's easy to have a lot of words, but I feel like his life has a lot of substance and action. And, and so for me, that's why I really enjoy just having you on the show. So thanks for that, Pete. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Yeah, but uh, we want to talk a bit about your book. You, you've just brought out a new book called How to Be Unsuccessful. Um, tell us a little bit about the book and its idea. Yeah, thanks. So How to Be Unsuccessful um, launched kind of in theory worldwide in October, but specifically is being published in South Africa and launched in South Africa uh, on the 1st of January. So it's hot off the press. And yeah, so How to Be Unsuccessful, the subtitle is An Unlikely Guide to Human Flourishing. And I think I just got a little bit frustrated looking around in bookshops and, you know, seeing my own friends or even listening to the message of certain churches or whatever, pastors teaching. And it all just seemed a little bit kind of self-helpy, a little bit kind of like a vanilla version of what the world is offering us as far as conceptions of success. Um, and it just made me think, well, I wonder what Jesus would talk about if he you know conceptualized success of course he never spoke about it so directly but what would that mean and how can I write from my own core wounds of feeling honestly a bit like a failure on a regular basis uh listening to this 
fairly continual voice inside my head asking me, well, what have you got to show for your life? Um, and simultaneously recognizing that the way the world is currently and going uh, feeds uh, us uh, in comparing ourselves with others. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, what, what does the kind of ancient wisdom of Jesus have to teach us and model to us as his followers in this culture, you know, worldwide uh, moment uh, today. And mm. so, the, the, yeah, the book came out of that, really. It was kind of like therapy for me, acknowledging <laughs> my own. But also, I think, trying to bang a drum of, like, church, let's wake up. How have we actually just co-opted the world's message of what constitutes success? And how might we realign our message to something that looks a little bit more faithful to Jesus's life and message? Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly why I thought this was just the coolest conversation to kick off a new year with, because uh, that's what you sense in the air at this time of year. You know, you think about the classic uh, ideas of all the gyms being full at this time of year. You think about every New Year's resolution that's been put into practice. And all of these things are good. I mean, I think that kind of, uh, even at a sociological level, although, you know, the 31st and the 1st, nothing's really changed. But just having these rhythms to reassess and kind of some fresh energy to get us off the couch, I think that stuff's healthy, except when it's still planted in the soil of an idea of success that isn't in and of itself broken. It doesn't leave our souls in a better place a year from now, and it doesn't leave our societies in a better place a year from now. And so I just thought as we start off the new year, what if we challenged not just um, – you know, new year, new you. <laughs> but what if we challenge the very ideas that we're planting those those New Year's resolutions in and maybe reframe some of our thinking about what we think success is in the first place, you know? Totally. And I think I think exactly that. I think um you know it's it's not to say for me I don't have, you know, last night I was up late uh writing sort of um on areas of growth for myself uh this year and and recognizing that as you say, there's something really significant about uh, the turning of the ending of one chapter and the beginning of another. And that, of course, uh, appropriately precipitates um, us reflecting and dreaming with God and listening. Uh, but I think it is hard to turn down the volume of the voices of those around us uh, and to turn up the volume of him, because ultimately, you know, to use a Christian cliche, we're living for an audience of one. Mm. And my own life, I recognize uh, areas of not doing that. I, you know, I write in the book about, and and this is something that I want uh, that I do want to change this year about, you know, the amount of time I spend on my phone mm. versus the amount of time I spend on my knees in prayer. Uh, and if you were to, I, I don't know what the, the 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 numbers are, but if you were to look at them, you'd probably question my salvation. Mm. You know, you'd probably <laughs> say, "What a hypocrite, Pete!" Mm. And I would say back to you, "Yeah, I, I I absolutely am a hypocrite, and I think many of us are, but we're on this journey of trying to kind of bring closer together the stories we tell about our lives and the actual lives we live and. And that 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 bringing together those two things is actually the most peaceful place to be. We don't have to project something. We don't have to uh, 
try and justify our existence through successful endeavors. Mm. We can actually just live a life of congruence, recognizing our own insecurities and hangups. I mean, honestly, to talk about the the cultural moment at, at the moment, there's a chapter in the book about the culture wars. And I think whether it's the progressive left or the religious right, which, by the way, kind of end up looking very similar to each other in the, the means by which they argue mm. and show up online and in, in the public. But I think if, if both sides of these debates could recognize that none of us are living up to the message that we preach as much as we would probably like, and therefore we are all hypocrites to some extent, that actually takes the weight off. It takes the pressure off. You know, remember Jesus said, my yoke's easy, my burden's light. And this kind of the, the, the kind of purity of cause that we see all around us. You can't say that. You can't do that. We'll count virtue signaling. Um, who's right? Who's wrong? Um, all of that is exhausting. Right. And so as I go into this new year, you know, I need to turn the noise down on that and actually commit to uh, probably more silence in 2024. Yes, yes. Oh, love that. So much to pull out there, Pete. I think one of the things that really stands out for me is that so many of our conceptions of success, and I'm just thinking about in my own life from a little child um, with all the best intentions, how you're rewarded for doing certain things and, you know, just how culture forms us. Um, so many of those ideas are quite anxious and performative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's coming out of a deficit of the self and trying to, uh, trying to compensate for that with achievement and almost pushing out that persona, whereas what you're talking about is a kind of integration where you where you come to peace with yourself. And and I think that, you know, Henry Nouwen talks a lot about the idea of the being the beloved and the security of that place of resting in our belovedness. And I think that's such an interesting invitation, a different kind of success that's not um, animated by an anxious performance. I don't know, does that resonate with some of what you're saying? Completely. And now it's been instructive for me. I mean, I think, you know, one, one of the sort of key lines from my book is that success is less about what you achieve and more about who you become. Mm. Um, and of course, if we're focused on who we become in Christ, then we will probably be less motivated by what we're achieving. But if we do achieve something that the world counts as significant, because we have become more like Christ, it won't knock us or fuel a narcissism or our shadow self as much as it would have done were we to have focused on that end result anyway. I think it's a, I think it's a means ends scenario. You know, the writer of Proverbs says, um, you know, talks about uh, uh, binding love and faithfulness around your neck and, 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 and pursuing that. Then you'll win favor with man and with God, with humanity and with God. Now, what it seems to me is that we're trying to win favor and good reputation with humanity and God as the ends, but we don't recognize that the means is love and faithfulness. Wow. And so we kind of we kind of forget about that. We forget about the at uh, the means, and we just go straight after the ends. And and of course, for God to bless our achievements mm. or our output without Him having helped us do the work of transforming us through his spirit can actually, and we see it all over the world, become a curse rather than a blessing because we don't have the capacity to 
upon which the as a foundation for the blessing to rest the blessing mm -hmm. actually ends up destroying us and i'm saying blessing in 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 a kind of conventional sense of oh i don't know you know profile or success sure, in you sure. know and so i think now and was onto something he you know he himself said uh the very thing that others were applauding him for, which was, you know, being a Harvard professor and writing books and touring the world and becoming really quite influential uh, and a leading theological voice. He said the very thing that others were applauding him for, he said, was making his soul sick. Right. And he recognized that disconnect, the thing that the world champions and wants more of and demands more of was actually the very thing causing him distress, a prayerlessness, a loneliness, um, and this kind of unhealthy dichotomy between a public life and a private life. Mm. And so to talk about a coherence of soul again, I think it's the making sure that our private life is always greater than our public life. Yes. Because, you know, otherwise disaster ensues. And as I say, we've seen that in leaders in the church, all around the world over the last couple of years. And I think, uh, you know, as you've alluded to, I, I mean, I see it in myself. Uh, I, you know, I, I see these headlines, as you say, of leaders falling. And to be honest with you, Pete, that sends like shudders through me. Because I know yeah. that I'm like a hair's breadth away from being another, another casualty in one of those headlines. You know, I have all the propensity to fall into those things, and so I just appreciate that that honesty that you're bringing to the space. It's like you're not exempt from the struggle, and I I, I think I'd love to hear a little bit about that your own story because you know this Yancey talks about how when he writes a book, it's basically to answer a question. <laughs> you know, uh, this message I'm sure has come to you through a journey. I'd, I'd be interested in in your own wrestle there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, exactly. I, I grew up in, in the UK, as you as you can tell, and, um, you know, went to good schools, had a comfortable upbringing, never lacked for anything. You know, we weren't sort of um, nothing very showy or, you know, crazy uh, extravagant, but just comfortable middle class life. And I went to a school that really was teaching you that you've got the answers you're the ones who are going to influence culture and society and all of that sort of thing and um any any desire you had to grow a skill or learn more or whatever you know read there was just resources everywhere for that mm. um and coming to faith in that i never really questioned it. i just thought well that was it you know um, but over time, the last 15 years of my life, I've, I've been in Manenberg, either living there for the last, golly, 10 years or, or you know, uh, just working there and growing friendships there. And one of the great lessons that Manenberg has taught me is this lesson of unlearning a lot of what I was taught in, um, I don't know, private schools and job opportunities. Mm. And what I mean by that is unlearning what constitutes success because honestly there's nothing like 
living in a community like Manenberg, which is the most friendly, beautiful place I've ever lived, and yet at the same time struggles with uh, despair and violence and gangs and drugs. There's nothing like living there and trying to take on some of the scourges of society head on. And by that, I mean addiction, I mean gangsterism, I mean the rotten legacy of spatial injustice and apartheid, uh, etc. There's nothing like that being a small group of people uh, in face of such seemingly intractable issues uh, to feel like really you're not achieving very much. Mm. And therefore life in Manenberg affords me this beautiful opportunity either to trigger all my inadequacy and unsuccess triggers or to have ample opportunity to work through those things with Jesus. And so then one begins to say, well, what does constitute success? It, It evidently isn't numbers and noise and narcissism, which is generally what we're told. It is, and these are some of the chapters of the book, you know, maybe it's depth over volume. Uh, uh, you know, maybe it's it's relationship over relevance. Mm. And it's not that you had to, I had to move to Manenberg to do that. Of course not. You can, in theory, if you can learn that anywhere, but, but there was something in me, I think, that God recognized uh, needed to be changed. And he took yes. me to a place where honestly mainstream narratives and uh, 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 stories about Manenberg are, are, are pretty pretty negative, and uh, it just feels like a sort of classic God move to mm. do that. The final bit on that was that you know, like a lot of books that are out at the moment, uh, uh, COVID and the pandemic lockdowns were really significant in that we had just seen at the beginning of 2020 the ministries that sarah my wife and i had spent you know cultivating for the last what would have been six years at that point Mm. a a residential home for guys coming out of gangs and drugs and finding a redemptive brotherhood of believers and and growing into who god created them to be and Mm. the beginning of 2020 that without going into details it completely imploded in front of our eyes Um, We were having to deal with a lot of betrayal, a lot of feelings of failure, a lot of what have we got to show for the last six years of our lives. And we actually then ended up getting an email from a lady called Jackie Pullinger the next day, which was bizarre (laughs) because she never does. Um, And invited us to go to a thing um, in Hong Kong that she was organizing. Now, she, for those who don't know her, has lived in Hong Kong for the last 60 years, working with addicts and gangsters um, and is an inspirational friend to us. And so we went and we sat at her feet for 10 days, just as COVID was beginning to spread around the world. And, you know, we landed in Hong Kong, people were wearing masks. This was beginning of February. And we thought, oh, that's gonna blow over, I'm sure. Um, But long story, not very short, um, she just, Everything, she just kind of it seemed like she kind of just offloaded her kind of entire life manifesto that day um, of the kingdom and what she had learned along the way. And a lot of the counterintuitive lessons of living mm. with those that society rejects. Mm. And I just scribbled down notes and notes and notes and lots and lots and lots of reflections and then came back to lockdowns and then right. just thought, I wonder if ease out of some of what I've learned from her uh, with some of what I'm feeling in my own stuff into something that can kind of 
be a message for the millennial and Gen Z generations, particularly, mm. um, and as a kind of, yeah, therapy and gift, I suppose. Mm. I think that's what's so. Thank you for sharing that, um, yeah, Jackie Pullinger. What a what a legend. Um, I think what's so interesting for me is, and again, we've got two stories of success here, and in the one story of success, um, failure, pain. Uh, struggle, these things are the enemy to that success. These are the things you must avoid at all costs. Yet in the story of success that you're communicating, it's precisely through uh, the failure, the pain, the struggle, the things that we spend so much energy avoiding that God grows and brings hope and brings life. That's just such an interesting um, dichotomy to me. And I, and I think about that in my own life. Like I have... <laughs> <laughs> the strongest allergic reaction to anything painful or difficult or hard, you know, and I think often to my detriment because I end up uh, just like, you know, Israel in the wilderness circling around the mountain so much longer than I need to because I won't trust God with my pain or discomfort or difficulty. Um, I don't know. Does that resonate with some of what you're talking about? Yeah, it does. And, you know, the, 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 the frustrating thing to me as I, you know, think about that is that like, where, where did we get this idea that um, suffering was something to be avoided or whatever? You know, I know that there's a whole sort of evolutionary process that has taught us to, you know, fight or flight and, you know, mm -hmm. adrenal glands, all of this sort of thing. I get, I get all of that. Like we're not meant to be sort of uh, masochistic or sort of whatever <laughs> right. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I do worry sometimes as well, you know, that, potentially kind of Christian mission type narratives is uh, or can be to kind of deliberately go looking for trouble, you know, mm. as it were, you know, I, I remember chatting to someone a few years ago who wanted to move into Manenberg because he had read quotes that it was the worst place in Cape Town. He said, and he just thought, you know, uh, I gotta go there and sort of save it and sort, you know, sort it all out and everything. And I remember thinking like, Oh my word, how do we, how do we work through this, you know? Mm -hmm. And and it it was about three or four years later that um, he ended up leaving depressed, disillusioned with what he hadn't seen God do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, subconsciously, obviously, he'd put himself at the the center of the whole story. Um, and and I reflected on it. I thought, yeah, I I like it was a lovely guy, but I don't think he had a theology of suffering. Wow. You know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of any kind, because these are there to mature us and to mm. make us lacking or um, suffering that produces um, perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. You know, these are easy things to quote. But um, honestly, I think if you got anyone in a candid conversation, we'd all recognize that these, these can become redemptive gifts you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a terrible message that sets us up for total disillusionment to expect mm. all of heaven on earth now. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's eschatology, eschatology gone completely wonky. The idea that right. we can see the, the complete kingdom of God break through right now, no sickness, no pain, no suffering. It's, it, it, and it and it it cheapens, I think, the human condition. If you think of 
art or stories or movies or the character of friends who have gone through deep betrayals or difficult periods or the redemptive element of someone who's gone through a sickness and is able to cherish life and loved ones more or um, learning a million ways how not to do something in order to get to a place where you say, actually, you know, like all of these things are part of the beauty of the the sort of multi-layered story of being human. Yes. Um, so to pray them away or sort of make positive declarations and sort of hide our heads uh, in the sand and, mm. and think that we're being faithful is such a, such a strange message and certainly mm. isn't the gospel yeah and you can only do that for so long because i, I do think of the words of jesus where he says you know in this world you will have trouble <laughs> and so again it's not like that we pursue suffering suffering isn't in and of itself redemptive but it is inevitable and if we'll place our suffering into the hands of god he's so good at recycling so recycling us and giving us that beauty for ashes right I was just going to say, you know, like, I think the issue for us in, in some ways, those of us who find ourselves in the kind of evangelical Christian bubble or circus or whatever we call it, you know, is that a lot of the time we're quite events focused, that that conference or that book or that course or that, you know, I know that we're talking about a book here, but, you know, like, like you know, spoiler alert, it's not going to it's not going to be your salvation. You know, right. it might point you to something. But, but don't put your trust in it. Don't put your trust in the next conference coming out of the biggest, loudest, charismatic church that has raised people from the dead. You know, as, may, as amazing as that may be, um, there's something else. And I think that's why our generation is turning to contemplation more, almost as a um, reaction against and hopefully a kingdom response rather than a kind of uh, pained or, or, or pain-filled reaction against this kind of loud charismania of your breakthrough is on the way, you know, just, right. you know, I think we've kind of been feeling my breakthrough is on the way for 10 years and it hasn't happened in the way we thought. So now yeah. it's like, okay, cool. Let's calm down and work out what a life of faithfulness looks like, as opposed to just another shot in the arm from an itinerant preacher. Wow. Wow. I, I describe that as an adrenaline based spirituality. And I recognize that so much in myself. It's it's like I, for the longest time, it was like living off the high of the last conference, last book, last album, last experience. And so, you know, my spirituality looked like that. Um, yeah. These are like peaks and troughs, and, you know. And we can pray prayers like that. I used to pray huge prayers for Manabu that all of the gang leaders would be saved and that their, their gangs would follow them. We'd see this huge revival of gangsters and hundreds and thousands of gangsters coming to know Jesus and this and this. And honestly, if if 10 hardened gangsters who were addicted um, came to know Jesus in one go in Manenberg, that would be our life's work. You know, mm -hmm. that would that would actually probably topple the the balance of our church life to the extent that we would possibly implode if 20 or 50 in one foul swoop came to know Jesus. You know, we would be really struggling with how do we disciple these guys? How do we actually, you know, like... And so to pray these prayers sounds great. And I'm not saying we don't want to see scores of uh, those in gangs and in addiction saved and knowing Jesus and making a, a kingdom difference in Manenberg. You know, I, I, 
I can't let go of that glorious vision. But at the same time, like, I think we're just beginning to pray prayers that are a little, not like more realistic as in, oh, we can do them in human capacity, but more kind of, I don't know, just more, what am I trying to say? Less kind of angst filled, you know, like, and more mm. just, just if that one person today makes a great choice not to go back to her abuser, you know, would you be with her? Would you renew her mind today? Mm. Or, um, Lord, with that um, one uh, member of a gang who sat in my car with me and just wept last week away from the gaze of his other gang friends, would would he just continue to make choices towards relationship today? Yeah, yeah. You know, like the like it, it's like what does this look like practically, rather than just saying billion souls harvest, end time right. revival? Like, what right. does it mean? What does that right. mean? Live genuinely. Exactly. Right. Um, without um, falling off the horse the other way and just saying, well, let's just do it all in our own strength. Totally. Totally. And, and praise God for the, for the movements of renewal and reform and revival through the ages. Like let's have it, you know, but I do think that those things are supplementary, not foundational. And I think that we need to be I, building a, a foundational life that's rooted in Christ so that when the supplementary stuff happens, it's bonus. But in its absence, we're not living now in deficit, you know. And I think, you know, the prayers you're describing, Pete, they, they feel to me like mustard seed prayers, which is exactly the way the kingdom moves forward, you know. It's not, it's not chariots and horses. It's, it's a mustard seed that then grows into a tree that then provides shelter for the birds of the air, you know. Yeah, exactly. And yeast, the unremarkable dirt-like substance, you know, that, that you wouldn't notice whether it was there or not. You know, if I said to you, you said, how's your morning been? I said, oh, fine, but I dropped my yeast somewhere in the kitchen. I've been looking for it. You know, you, you wouldn't, it would seem bizarre. <laughs> because you can't, you know what I mean, you can't. Yeah. It yeah. just looks like dirt, dust. Yeah. And yet its invisible, quietly transformative presence in a dough actually causes this complete shift in the reality around it. Yes, it's no, it's it's no accident that these were the metaphors Jesus used to describe the kingdom of God. Absolutely, and it's even you know when we talk about advancing the kingdom of God, amen to that idea. But the danger is when we superimpose our assumptions of worldly kingdoms onto what it means to advance the kingdom, <laughs> and we just see this in Jesus, right? They're trying to make him king, and he's refusing that, and his kingdom comes through death on a cross. You know. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the same crowds that sang, uh, uh, you know, Hosanna, uh, here comes, you know, um, the Messiah, you know, were, were, were shouting, crucify him a week later right. after he hadn't met thieves based on their own agendas. So good. So much we could talk about. Um, I'd love for you to, the book uh, and the course, which we'll point people to at the end of this, has sort of six key ideas. I'd love for you just to riff on each one of those. I mean, we, you know, people will read the book if they want the whole message, but just give us a little taste of kind of what you cover in, in the main message. Yeah, um, I've written them down in order so I don't go off, off piste here because um, I always get the order wrong. But I mean, the, the first one, basically, the first chapter is is on calling. Um, it's it's God's calling versus good ideas. 
uh, or the subtitle of it is how God wants to mess you up and waste your life. And <laughs> I love that. So, starting again. And and the point of that being really, there are millions of good ideas in the world. There are plenty of worthy endeavors we could give our lives to. But what is God asking of you? Mm. Um, and it's focused on a, a brilliant German word I learned from a friend that is uh, Geltungsbedürfnis. And that is basically, it's one of those German words that we need an entire sentence to uh, explain. And Geltungsbedürfnis is the need to be seen as uh, 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 valued and worthwhile in the eyes of others. Mm. And my point with that is that I think so many of us, even in the church, are motivated less by the call of God on our lives and more by the need to be seen as worthwhile and valuable in the eyes of others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so really it's just that it's looking at Jeremiah, it's looking at what could have been a bit of a could be conceived as a horror show of a 40-year prophetic ministry, uh, you know, ending up in jail and nothing really, you know, working and all the rest of it. But at the same time, recognizing his faithfulness to the the call of God uh, in face of a whole bunch of other probably better sounding ideas. Mm. Um, and then, and also recognizing that good ideas will work for a bit and plenty of people have become very quote successful following good ideas and startups and entrepreneurial this and that's and churches that have huge budgets and high profile and thousands of bums on seats uh but you know if 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 they're motivated by this geltungsbedürfnis this need to be recognized by others and i think all of us are to some extent yeah yeah uh, like i said so it's 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 just it's just inviting us, I think, into a kind of corrective around what's your motivation. Be honest. Be honest with yourself this year. What is your motivation? Mm. Um, and that leads us to uh, chapter two, which is relationship over relevance on friendship with God and people. And 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 doing a deep dive into Henry Nouwen's book, uh, In the Name of Jesus, where he talks about right. um, the leaders of the future being those who dare to claim their irrelevance in the contemporary world as a divine vocation. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at irrelevance being a divine vocation rather than relevance. You know, uh, we're told to publish this book, I needed to uh, grow an online following and I needed to do this and look for opportunities to speak and all that sort of thing. You think, again not that that's bad podcasts books courses none of these are bad you know we 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 fall into strange water if uh, uh, uh we create these sort of black and white binaries but but if my motivation is just to be relevant all over the shop rather than actually saying well what if my divine divine vocation might be irrelevant to what the world is demanding of me yes. yeah. uh, and a depth of friendship rather than the noise of more content. Mm. Um, that's chapter two, which then leads on to depth over volume, chapter three. Uh, and one of my favorite quotes is that the church is a little bit like a swimming pool because <laughs> yeah. all the noise comes shallower. <laughs> and, you know, we're splashing around, having good fun and making lots of noise. But when you consider, for example, that Cape Town is really probably the most successful of the apartheid projects as far as being the most racially segregated city and the most economically unequal country on earth. You think, well, we're in the deep end. Wow. Um, 
And, you know, I'm doing this podcast from Stellenbosch where, you know, really the apartheid project was founded as a theological project, we must remember. Um, and so we, we haven't, we can't be splashing around just, just making more noise, just adding sure. to the noise. We have to, we have to go uh, deep. Uh, someone once said to me, the thing about content is that it creates discontent. You know, we can, it, again, it fuels that comparison. And so then how do we measure growth? Mm. What if what if every church, rather than measuring growth through um, numbers and profile and transformative effects in society, you know, numbers served and missionaries sent out, not as not any of that's bad, but what if what if church just measured growth through spiritual depth, mm. through prayerfulness, through mm -hmm. the 50 people who are still part of the church and hasn't necessarily grown numerically, are sold out more to Jesus this year, have grown in unity and fellowship and are praying uh, as spiritual powerhouses in a way that they weren't previously. Um, it's that famous Dallas Willard quote that God is more interested in weighing us than counting us. Mm. Um, and so then the invitation is for us to look at ourselves. The fourth chapter is transforming versus transferring. What will you do with your pain? We all have pain. We all have uh, coping mechanisms and behaviors that we think constitute our personality and yet probably more accurately reflect areas of unprocessed pain. Uh, and so how do we not transfer our pain onto others, but actually give it to God to transform into something generative mm. um and yeah uh because that then leads to chapter five the culture wars and what does it mean to Absolutely. be a faithful present culture wars right. if we haven't if we haven't dealt with our pain we will then end up uh projecting onto others in the culture wars we will then mm. end up getting uh kind of angsty judgy cancelly virtue signally uh you know trolley <laughs> mm, um mm. and you know at the end of the day martin luther king said life at its best is a creative synthesis of opposites held in fruitful harmony wow. so how can we hold opposites in the world in a fruitful harmony because we've done the work internally um of transforming our own pain oh. Lovely. And the final chapter uh, in this little run through is called Power and Participation on Suffering and the Supernatural and bringing together, like we've been talking about, uh, an activist-minded uh, uh, embrace of suffering and state of the world and lament mm. with a kind of heaven's perspective on the power of a spirit-infused discipleship wow. and bringing them together. It's a kind of final rally call of what a, quote, unsuccessful life could look like. Love that. Love how you've landed that because so that um, combination is so rare. Typically, we see people living on, on either side of that spectrum, either like heavy social gospel, devoid of, yeah. of really, uh, you know, the spirit of the, of the Lord, or something so... Um, separate from the realities of the world that it ends up being spiritual goosebumps. I love how you are, are bringing together both of those things. Well, totally. And, and actually, oh, thank you. Firstly, secondly, it's, it's my absolute 
kind of fixation is, you know, what do we mean when we talk, when Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. For mm-hmm. him, power and participatory suffering were the keys to knowing Christ. And so we've got to unpack that. What do we mean by that? Because I could tell you, you know, uh, 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 you know, the, the activists and who they'll vote for and what their worldview will be like and what doctrinally they will probably agree on and, uh, 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 you know, around um, gender or around socioeconomics or around race or around this. Right. And I could tell you probably the other camp, the more religious right, the conservatives, the more revivally minded people are often in that camp. And yet, so then what you end up with is theology and politics embroiled in each mm. other rather than say, could you be full of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders as well as having an orientation towards the poor and a recognition, here's the thing, a recognition of structural injustice and racial inequality at the same time as seeing, I don't know, gold teeth growing and feathers sure. and glory sure. cloud. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Why have we created? Two in this false uh, false dichotomy, it's it's ridiculous. And at the same time, could we see people who, um, you know, are not just feeding the poor, but are living amongst and learning from the poor, um, you know, instructing those um, on the other side of what mission as a reciprocal practice could look like? So it's there's just there's loads in it, um, and as you say, we, it's been condensed down to a six-part video series, a course that's totally free that people could download um, on the twenty-four-seven prayer website. And the idea being that you read a chapter and and go through the session, you know, one fifteen-minute session that accompanies each chapter. Yeah. Talk about it, pray about it, chew it over, that sort of thing. Brilliant, brilliant. Pete, thank you so much for your time and uh, running us through the message of your book. I think this is such a beautiful, um, I would say, pointer for us as we head into 2024. How do we position ourselves to have the most unsuccessful year ever, really? <laughs> I think it's yeah, part it of the invitation. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And and so people can find the book and they can find the course at the 24-7 Prey website. Yeah, the course is only on the 24-7 website, um, but the book is available worldwide in South Africa now, you know, um, wherever you get your books. That's all for this episode of the Follower Podcast. If you found this helpful, please consider liking, sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on the podcast. It, It helps us get these conversations in other people's is you can also give a once-off donation or ongoing monthly support to make more conversations like this possible by visiting www.wearefollower.com until next time friends may you follow jesus to the depths of his heart and to the ends of the earth